Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. You know, everything has a purpose, and all the different purposes are onto a greater purpose, which is onto a greater purpose. And there is ultimate purpose, there is ultimate meaning. And what I am sharing about here is the very source of reality, of all existence, the very reason for which all things consist and exist. And what is behind reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. Who is who the one true eternal God is? And so for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flipbook and very original understanding and writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that highly confirms in this book through many links that are in red print to videos they're very profound and amazing of the reality of what I am sharing here. This is from many fields of science and archaeology. And those videos are really amazing. In fact, I did decide today I'm going to do a kind of a documentary using that flip book and going through it. It could be a quite a long video. But it will be very amazing to go through this flipbook on video and take you to the exact locations because all the links in there go to the exact location that shows the reality and the truth of what I'm sharing about here. So before I go further with anything else, I want to explain to those that are new a little bit more about this love, which is who God is. Uh, an integral way of describing it is this way, and this is the way I, I've been led of my own self to teach. This doesn't come from any other source. This is what I received in understanding by God's gifting through his spirit through me. This love always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so integral and pure that it is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. Because the moment love condones what is contrary to love, it would no longer be love. Not this love that is the very antithesis of corruption, that is the very destroyer of corruption. Corruption being against love. Love being the source from which emanates all creativity, which brings forth goodness or ever-enlarging pleasures of fulfillment and creativity that go on without end. So this love is first represented as a negative symbol in nature or electricity or math 
which represents an indestructible foundation and also the cutting off of all corruption. But the positivist symbol is formed out of the negative, negative symbol, which is the symbol of also the cross, which happens to be the last letter of the alphabet in all the ancient languages that were basically all the same at that time, from 1500 BC, 2000 BC and earlier. The last letter was exactly as the symbol of the cross as we know it today, an immense sign or symbol. So those that are protesting the symbol of the cross and gravestone, you know, and soldier uh, burials and so on, have no grounds for that argument because this was way before any Christianity. But the symbol of the cross is the other aspect of this love, and it's this, that this love has always been in the infinite past, beyond the time and space realm, so great that this love could become a perfect, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice and take judgment upon itself for you so that you could be forgiven. You know, the Bible says that God humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heaven of heavens. And yet people have this misconception that God couldn't be very great if he comes down to a little speck of a planet and communicates with his creation. No, the opposite is true. God is so great that he can come down to this little speck of a planet in the midst of this vast universe, which makes this little speck of a planet like a single grain of sand in the midst of all the grains upon the earth. And he can communicate with his creation as he did in Genesis 18 with Abraham, where three angels appear before Abraham. They look like human beings, but probably a lot more majestic and beautiful than human beings. And he runs before them and says, I want to make you a meal. And they make some meal for them. And they all eat. And he addresses one of them, the one that goes up before the other two angels go to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He addresses him as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God, which basically means the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, that is separate and above creation and beyond creation. And so... God is so great that he actually came down to this world in Jesus Christ and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could choose to be forgiven and be reconciled to God and receive eternal life. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness, worthy to be entrusted with unlimited authority, power, and life, and not misuse that in a corrupt way or be corrupted by it, thus indicative that he, God, is the very source. And oh, for those that are caught up in crazy nonsense, such as pronouns, God's not neither male nor female. I mean, heaven, that's not an issue, okay? I'm not going to get sidetracked on that. But what I want to share with you here is that only a God of this love would be the one true God. And the other thing to recognize is that for God to be God, 
he also must be in three personages in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling on all creation in omnipresence. As God the Father, he is beyond creation and above and beyond it, seeing the end from a beginning. The Son, the word Son basically means expression, and Jesus Christ is the one and only full expression of God to creation, to experience the creation realm that he created and its limitations and limit himself in order to communicate with the cre creature. And so God communicates and and is revealed in Jesus Christ. It's fully God. And the Holy Spirit is the third personage, which is attached to every particle of existence and every dimension of existence in omnipresence, within the creation realm and beyond with God the Father. And so we have the Father in which dwells the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have the Son in which dwells the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit in, in omnipresence in which dwells the Father and the Son. So that's why in the Old Testament, the common name in the King James Bible, or most Bibles in English, is Lord God. Usually the word Lord is Yahweh, which refers to the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, and usually the name God is Elohim, which literally means the Almighty's, which is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I am here to share what God has given me by his spirit each day to share. The word of God says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And this is particularly referring to people when they gather together around Jesus Christ in assembly, that there should be total freedom for them to share and be so in the spirit of God and sensitive to those that have been born anew by the spirit of God to speak as the oracles of God. In other words, in the early church, there was total freedom if you had a song, a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, a testimony, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge to share. Nowadays, you have to, in some churches, ask permission to use the mic. They're so afraid of a mess. I mean, come on, God's in control of his church. So there's a bit of a mess. Look what happened in Azusa Street, that powerful revival. Everyone had the freedom to share. And when there was people that came in to try to cause disruption, they were immediately brought under the judgment of God and were killed. They went out and were immediately killed by an accident or something. These people that did that. These are true accounts, of course. And so, we should be meeting this way. And we should be seeking to be sensitive and when we feel the Spirit of God rise up in us in the meeting, and it's a song that we feel we're to sing, because there's a little seed thought that God's put in our mind. We don't know what's going to come out, but we're not going to quench the Spirit. We let the Spirit come out, and we sing a song unto the Lord. And it comes forth as a beautiful poem sometimes, totally spontaneous, or a word of encouragement, or a prayer, or whatever. And so you get a beautiful smorgasbord that is a gift from God coming through each gifting in the assembly, which is the corporate gathering, the body of Christ, his corporate bride. 
I've written a book in these last days called Godhead, Ship and Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon that is about 250 some odd pages, if I rem remember right, that has everything in it that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. When that begins to happen in your nation, United States, and in this nation where I live in Canada, and in the other nations of the world, you will conquer your nation with the love of God and the powers of darkness that are so threatening in, in destroying civilization and the present order and wanting to bring tyranny and oppression to the multitudes around the world will be broken by this wonderful message. Because it won't be just a message. It will be the presence of God that is like a hand filling a glove when you allow God's presence to come in fullness in your midst. And when that hand gets into that glove, there is power and there is authority. That is what he's wanting in local assemblies. So that when they agree together, they're not in their own interests, all divided, but they're in his name, which means love. Ahava is a Hebrew word for love, and it sounds an awful lot like some people pronouncing Yehovah, although the most accurate pronunciation is Yahweh. God is love. And this message that I'm going to give today is on love. It is on love. And so I want to share with you the song I received today. I forgot that I, want, I was wanting to get the songs going at the beginning of the introduction, and now I have a long introduction. But I'm going to get the song going here uh, that I have for today for us to sing. And I should have had it right at the beginning. I will get into that habit. This is a bit far into the introduction. That's not the right thing. Sorry. We'll get the right one yet. Here it is. So here's the song for this day that I have sought by lot and also just by pursuing to get. In this case, I didn't use the lot to get this song. I just chose it as I felt this was the one God would have.
is the most powerful force there is. It is the source of light, of intelligence, of wisdom, of all creation that is good. What about the creation that isn't good, you might ask? Well, for those that are new, I can explain that. First, I do want to bring this up here and begin to share what I received today, but God created us to have the capacity to love because that is his very being is love. So we weren't created as robots. We were created as the source of our own action, which means we are self-responsible. So you can't blame God for creating the devil. That was a choice that came from him to create his own destiny out of his own choices. It was a choice that was corrupt. I mean, these angels that rebelled were in the direct presence of God's glory and love and went directly against that. In this dimension, it is through an indirect way that our rebellion comes through the temptations of the physical realm and not directly against the Spirit of God. Unless we attribute the things that are from God that are his glory and his blessing to people as being from the enemy. And Christ said that such that do that have committed the unpardonable sin. It cannot be forgiven. And I want to share with you today what God is saying by his spirit to the churches. In Revelations 19.10 it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is out of worshiping God, out of great reverence and love and humility for God, that we are filled with the spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in these creative utterances that come forth as the oracles of God. As it says, out of worship, comes the spirit of prophecy or speaking as the oracles of God, and so I will seek to be in a heart set and mindset of worship as I give this message. And so one of the things I do is I cast lots to get any possibility of a chapter from the Bible with two independent random applications, and that's what I've done today. That those two chapters might bear witness with each other as to the theme. And so today, by the casting of lot, I received Deuteronomy 22, 
and 2 Corinthians 2. And in both of these chapters, we see the severity of God's judgment on those that commit sin within the church. And that is the church that existed in the nation of Israel before the time of Christ, and also an example of the church in the post-Christ scriptures, or the Christian, the first early church, the beginning of the church. And so I said here, that God's judgment is shown on those that commit sin within the church that is tempered with mercy and the forgiveness of God. And so in Deuteronomy 22, 6-8, we see various commandments that are given to the nation of Israel. And you can see that all of those commandments come out of love. They may, it's just, you see, love is common sense. Love is doing what is the highest good. You have a conscience that innate, that God created you with it innately knows good from bad and that for good to prevail, bad must be judged. And basically, the genuine fear of God is the reciprocate, it is the acknowledgement and the reciprocation or the receiving of who God in reality is, not just into your intellect, far more into your heart by a deep turning in your heart, to acknowledge that the holiness of God or the integrity of his love that requires judgment is good. It is the very source of ultimate beauty and purity and goodness. It ensures there can be a destiny where there's no corruption and there's ultimate beauty and goodness. No one is heaven. And I've written a book you can get an Amazon called Afterlife, Incredible Irrefutable, which is 368 pages in print. You can get it in Kindle format, of course, as well, and hardcover, but it is in-depth and describes this love that there is in heaven. These are people that have been highly verified to have been dead, like Dean Braxton, for almost two hours, by doctors and medical equipment. They experience the reality of a dimension way beyond this. And I could talk for hours on this. It's so wonderful and encouraging and interesting. It encourages us to recognize the hope that we have, how great it is. The physical dimension is very inferior, even according to particle physics that's been mathematically analyzed, compared to this dimension, I mean, to, to, compared to the dimension where people are in heaven which is a far superior dimension. Secular scientists believe it's, call it the fifth dimension out of the 11, 10 or 11 dimensions they believe exist from particle physics. But I want to share with you here about this love. This love is the source of everything in heaven. It's what causes the very bright light and the colors that exist that don't even exist in this dimension and the many other colors. It's what causes all the plants to have intelligence and to communicate with people and the animals and they can all speak the same language there. They can all understand each other. It's incredible, way beyond time for me to describe here. But here we have some examples of God's commandments of love. It says, if a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young 
or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go, and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. You see, there is a reaping and a sowing. If you go against the source of ultimate reality, which is love, and you bounce off it in rebellion, there is going to be negative results. There's going to be judgment upon your life. When you treat anyone in a way that is not love, you will know that. And I'm going to here describe to you a Muslim that I described in my book that you can look up on YouTube. I don't, I've forgotten his name. But he experienced such judgment from God when he went into that other realm. And it's too much to describe in detail, but every single thought that he ever thought was shown to him in a brief moment in time. But every time he experienced doing wrong and offending people, he had something go into his mouth that was like hot molten metal that was worse than any torture you could feel in this world for things that he said that were so hurtful to other people. And the pain was way beyond anything you could experience in the physical dimension. He said it was like molten metal in his mouth burning. And this happened over and over again to him for all the terrible things he said. And when he came back and was alive, he now says that the moment he realizes he's offended for someone, he goes immediately to them and asks for forgiveness. Immediately. We're created in the image of God. We should treat one another with the utmost respect out of love. You see, when you really love someone, they're precious to you. You don't treat them common. And even these animals, God expected that people would treat them in love. And if they didn't, they were going to experience having their days shortened because of the way they treated those animals. And some people think it's a great thing to do certain things and they don't mind torturing and hurting animals. You can figure out for yourself what all that means. You need to be seriously considering everything before God that you do. It says here when you build a new house, you're to make railing around it so that you don't bring blood upon your house in case someone falls off it. Well, common sense, again, love is common sense. It always chooses the highest lasting good. And it goes on, and there are many other commandments that are given in this passage in Deuteronomy 22. It talks about men treating women in the wrong way and the judgment that will fall upon them and vice versa, and I won't go into that. I want to go into the other passage here, which touches on the same subject, and that is in 2 Corinthians 2, 6 to 11. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrawise he ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. 
Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgave I it, in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now this man had committed incest. He had had sex with his mother. And Paul said, here you are, worshiping as normal. You know that there's someone like that in your midst. You should have been all on your faces in mourning before God, pleading for God to have mercy in this man. And he went on to say, and I have the scripture there, it's 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. It describes that that such a one should be delivered for, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that their spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, by them receiving that judgment, they would be saved from eternal hell. For verily I, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So on the one hand, the integrity of God's love will not tolerate corruption. It will not tolerate sin. It is very severe on sin, and it was very severe on this man. And if I brought up the scriptures here, which I can, uh, not that, um, this year, if I brought up this, you would see also that in this passage here, not this particular one, this is not the um, right scripture. It was um, supposed to be in um, Deuteronomy chapter 22, didn't know that I didn't have it turned there, but it's quick to turn to it. In Deuteronomy 22, I just want to point out to you a bit more on the severity of God's judgment. I read about the animal. But God's judgment was severe on those that were compromised. And I'm not going to go into the whole chapter or read much on it. The reason God was severe is that it was very important that corruption did not spread within the nation of Israel so that the presence of God could not be in their midst and so that in time the Messiah would be brought forth and that that precious seed that would bring forth Jesus Christ would not be hindered. And so we read some things here that are very difficult. And it says if a man, you know, lies with a woman that is another man's husband, that they're both, and she doesn't complain, they're both to be stoned. So I'm just giving that as an example. I'm not going to read all this. So on the one hand, there is this severity, but on the other hand, there is love. And there's an, there's a danger of people going 
to one extreme or to the other. There is the account, historical account in the book of Judges of the nation of Israel, dealing with corruption in their midst, where the tribe of Benjamin, a particular Levite, went with his wife traveling and stayed in a particular town, and the people surrounded him. He was a guest at a man's house that took him in in his travel, and they wanted all to have intercourse with his wife, and they did. They forced the lady out of, and she died from that. This Levite took his wife and divided her into 12 parts and sent it to the 12 tribes of Israel and said, consider this that is in the, your nation. The whole nation of Israel came against the tribe of Benjamin and said, give us the man that did this, and they wouldn't. And so a war ensued between the tribe of Benjamin and all the other tribes. And amazingly, the tribe of Benjamin at first was prevailing against them a number of times. They prevailed and killed many of those that came of the nation of Israel. And all the nation of Israel was far greater in size than one tribe. And here many of them are slaughtered and they come before God and they're crying out, what's wrong, God? We, we came before you. Do you st still want us to go against them? And the Lord said, yes. But then again, judgment upon and they got to the place where they literally were in tears and fasting and praying before God and saying, God, why? Why is this happening? So many of us are being killed and yet there's evil in your midst. It was because God wanted them to get to the place where they themselves were humbled from the pride that was in them and the tendency and the hardness of heart to be so judgmental without mercy. Not that they should not be severe on what would be corrupting and destroy them as a nation. And so, what happened was God gave them further instruction and they totally wiped out the tribe of Benjamin so that hardly anyone was left. And then they were weeping and crying and saying, we lost a tribe. God, what were we, gonna, we made a vow that we wouldn't give our wives to them. How in the world are we going to get this tribe back? All there is is a few men left in the cave over there. But we know what happened. They found a way to give some of their wives to them. And I won't go into all the detail of that. There were certain people that were going to have, where all the women came out dancing and they made arrangement with the tribe of Benjamin for the men to come out while those women were dancing and to grab one and take them as their wife. That's how it happened. Of course, That was allowed of God in order to restore the tribe of Benjamin. But here we have this case of a man committing this in the church. And so what is God saying through this message from these two chapters? He is wanting us as his people to be those that know a deep, intimate love relationship with him of the greatness of his mercy towards us that brings us to a place of great humility so that we are not so quick to judge. It says in the word of God that we are to with meekness restore one another. A denominative mindset that causes division and denominations in the church comes 
out of either self-righteous pride, where we are too judgmental, or out of immoral perceptions of God, that he condones what is corrupt, what is contrary to love. And you see those two kinds of religions throughout history. You see religions that are very extreme and religious rules that you can't do this and this and this, and it's all outward and it's all even more evil than the ones that are immoral. Then you've got other religions that are totally immoral. But the right perception of God is the turning of the heart that receives God for who he is in reality and doesn't have a distorted view of God like Cain, that he is some kind of a dictator because you're kind of unthankful for the fact that there's all this suffering around you and that God's allowing you to go through things and you're not recognizing that his holiness or the integrity of his love is good because it ensures that you can go forth and have a destiny without corruption. And so God is wanting his people not to have an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God as a dictator, but that his severity on our lives against sin is good. And when we really recognize that his severity against sin in our lives is good, then we can be open to receiving his mercy. A person cannot receive the mercy of God if they are perceiving God in a wrong way in his holiness as some kind of dictator. You cannot really know conviction of your sin so that you're crying from the depths of your being, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, forgive me, if you haven't seen that, first of all, that you are undone in the view of how good God is in his holiness. It means we have a destiny where there's heaven. The whole world suffers. There is the law of reaping and sowing. And how we treat one another makes a big difference. And I cannot share too much, but I know right now I'm going through something that's very, where I need a lot of discernment. Where someone has mental problems that I've been helping for years, and now they're believing that I did all these things, which is totally false, and they're telling this other person, and this other person's believing and saying they're going to tell the church. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care, because I know I haven't done those things, and this person, but I'm surprised that this person has no discernment. Cannot discern who I am. You see, it says in the Word of God that we are to know one another not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It says, henceforth we know no man after the flesh, even though we knew Christ Jesus after the flesh. Henceforth we know him no more after the flesh. We are to know one another after the Spirit. We are to be able to see if a person loves God or not, to perceive that. The reason people as Christians are blinded from being able to see things and have discernment is because, like Samson, they've fallen into compromise to believe teachings or to live lives that justify things that are not holy, that are not pure, that are not submitted to God, that they're not willing to give up. And so, like Samson, your spiritual eyes are blind. There's false teaching, a lot of it, that emphasizes material prosperity. 
to the neglect of emphasizing spiritual prosperity. God, the word of God says he's chosen the poor, rich, and heirs of the kingdom of God. How dare we think that because a person is poor, that means they have a spirit of poverty. How do you know that they do? Some do. There is that. But if you're rightly dividing the word of God, you're not going to be so presumptuous. Many people have been put through trials and tests where they experience poverty in order to bring them closer to God. And God said of the church of Laodicea, it was lukewarm, that because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I counsel you therefore to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. You say I'm rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing and yet you are rich and poor and blind and miserable and naked. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve and buy me gold tried in the fire. That's saying, Lord, I choose to be judged now by you, to go through trials and testings in this life now by you so that I am ready for your coming. So I'm brought into a close relationship with you in this world and can be used of you. That is what God is asking of his people, that they come back to the first love, that they come to a place where their hearts are truly rent and not their garments, where there's a true circumcision in the heart that causes a circumspect walk of holiness unto God, not out of some religious obligation or wrong perception of God, but out of love for God, like this song we sung, Jesus, Jesus, I am resting in the joy of who you are. When you have a life of holiness, as I said in my other messages, that brings great wholeness in your inner being. And in that wholeness, there's a tremendous river of the life of God's spirit that you experience flowing out of you in intimacy and fellowship with God. And it animates the imagination screen of your heart so that you perceive various aspects of the glory of God. And you can't put it in words because it's so wonderful what you're perceiving and it comes forth in a beautiful song. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. You can't put it in normal language. It just comes forth in that tongue that is beautiful because you're describing the beauty of the glory of God or some aspect of his kingdom or moving prophetically in tongues and then can interpret that. God is calling his people into intimacy with him. And he's wanting us to repent of going to the right hand and going to the left, the left being immorality, the right hand being self-righteousness and a judgmental spirit. And so with this lady, I find myself, I'm thinking, am I compromising? I need to reprove her. I mean, she's lying about me, deliberately lying in front of someone about me and accusing me of stealing money, which I've not done at all and all these other crazy things, totally false. And, uh, you know, it's easy to um, become really out outraged at her and think that she's going to have judgment like Miriam had when she spoke behind Moses' back, but worse, because what she's doing is worse. And I'm just praying God has mercy on her because I don't even know if she's saved because she does these things. 
She may think she is, but the evidence isn't there. And yet she has all these needs, and I feel like it's still, she's totally helpless, and there's no one else right now to help her. So I phone her up, and I tell her, well, you forgot this, because her memory's really bad. you got to get this done, and this done, and I'll phone this, because you don't know how to talk to them. And, and so I help her out still, even though this has happened. And maybe because she's got some mental deficiencies, she's not realizing what she's doing fully, like a normal person would. So I don't know, but these are the things we all are in a battle with. And you will notice that the passage I received yesterday was about Israel being compromised as well. And I have to close. I don't know how long this message is going because I wasn't watching my watch. And so I must close this message now because I know time has gone on. So thank you. But the message yesterday was about Israel being compromised with the nations around. Whereas the message today is about the compromise within the church itself. And how to purge out that leaven with grace, without being judgmental, restoring people with meekness that have sinned, considering our own selves in case we could fall. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.